And why don't you tell your neighbor, you are looking good today. Much better than the last time I saw you. Ah, oh, just teasing. Hey, sure, great to have you. This is a season of new beginnings in the life of our church. I'm doing a sermon series now, three parts. This is number two, entitled New Beginnings. And this is a month of dedication for us. We are dedicating. It's a new beginning in our building. You have to be patient with us on air conditioners and technology and clean, clean, getting things clean and straightened. We're just kind of working out the systems and routines. And it is a new beginning. Next week is actually going to be uh, uh, our grand opening and uh, where we are doing more promotions in the cities. Hopefully you might invite your friends to that. And then the next week is Easter. So we'll celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But this is also a season of personal new beginnings. And this is the slant that I take on this message today. Is it not only is it a new beginning for a church family in a new building, but it can be a new beginning in your life and mine. How I many know everyone in this room has things that we want to change? For some of, some of us, our life is just kind of going this way. For some of us, we've got parts of our life that are going that way. Every one of us has things. It could be our spiritual life needs to return or go to another place. It could be family problems. It could be addictions or it could be, you know, struggles that we're, we're, we're having, problems that we fight we can't seem to win. It could be a battle in our soul. Who knows what it may be? But the power to change, the power for a new beginning, there's a promise in Scripture that God makes this power available to us. How many know with God's help we can do anything? Well, they're going to put the Scripture on the board. It's uh, Ephesians 3.20. And I want you to read this out loud with me. It says, Now to Him, which is God, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to God be the glory. That power is the power of God that works in us, God's desire. And have me know if God is able, and this is what I want you to grasp on to in this series today, that whatever change we're pursuing, whatever new beginning we're hoping to find, God is able to help me. Can you say that? God is able to help me. So today I want to talk about three types of new beginnings in three different areas. The first we'll talk about today is a new beginning in the way we think. How many know we can have stinking thinking? We can believe a lie instead of the truth. We'll talk about that. Secondly, we'll talk about our material world, and I want to talk about contentment. How many know it's easy to be content when you have plenty of money in the bank and everything is new and your closet's full? But it's not so easy to be content when life has struggles in it. But yet the Bible says it's possible. We'll talk about that. I'll help you. We'll also talk about an attitude of generosity that spills over into every area of our life. The last thing we'll talk about, I, I, I call it this, a new beginning with our priorities, living each day with eternity in mind. Now, I don't mean living each day thinking that I'm going to die today, but I mean living with the awareness that my life is short, I don't know how long it'll be, and I want to live each day, each week, uh, each month of my life doing those things so that when I stand before the Lord one day, how many know we're, one day we're going to stand before God? And, and you're not going to be with your mom, your dad, or your husband, or your wife. It'll just be you standing before God, and two things will happen. Number one, those that were followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will be there as our advocate. How many know the devil won't be able to blame us because of our sins? But it's also a time or season of reward. 
And it is what we prepare for. And uh, I think this will be a blessing to you today. So let's begin. Now, the truth I want to share with you today, it's kind of on the bottom of the screen, a little hard to see. But with God's help, a new beginning is possible. So let this sink into your heart and soul today. Let's begin a new beginning with how we think. I want to talk about our thought life for a moment. If you have a Bible, go to Proverbs 23. Because what we think controls what we do. What we think controls our attitudes. What we think controls all of us. God has given us a mind, and some of our thoughts are unconscious. Some of our thoughts have been a part of us for decades of our lives. And some things are in the shallow part of our mind we're just considering. But look at Proverbs 23, verse 6. Interesting verse. It says, don't eat the bread of a miser or a stingy person. Now, I want you to say this first part of verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart... So is he. As we think, so we are. As we think, so we become. Our mind controls our actions and our attitudes. And let's go back to this stingy person here. He's basically invited someone over for dinner. It's kind of an obligation. And he says, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. In other words, he's doing it perhaps out of obligation. Uh, we, don't, we don't really know. But all we know is his thought life controlled his attitudes. And his attitude was one of being stingy. Now, we don't know if he was stingy because he was selfish. Any selfish people in the room other than me? Okay, about 10% selfish, 90% liars. I understand. <laughs> um, yeah, selfishness could have been one of the reasons. Another reason could be fear. How I many know we're sometimes stingy because we're fearful? We're fearful we won't have enough. We're fearful we'll run out. And, and we're only looking at our resources instead of God. But here, here's the thing about the guy. He had believed a lie. He's believing a lie because here's the truth. And this is what I want you to sink in today. How many believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God? How many believe the Bible is truth? And how many believe it's not just about salvation, but it's about the way that we live our everyday life and things that happen to us? Well, listen to what the truth of God's Word says. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Some people give much, but get back even more. even more. Generous people. Others don't give what they should, the stingy guy, and they end up poor. So that's the truth. The truth is God blesses generosity, but this man believed a lie for whatever reason, and it made him stingy. Uh, he had a problem with the way he thought about life. And I'm going to suggest to you our thought patterns are like, uh, like ruts. I went to someone's house the other day, and, and it was a beautiful home, and uh, they didn't have any vegetation, didn't have any trees growing, and, 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 and as the land sloped and it would rain, there was a rut that was forming uh, in their yard. And I want to suggest, well, uh, science uh, suggests this as well. Scientific studies have talked about the neural patterns of our brain. And as we think new thoughts, new patterns, or new ruts form in our mind. And we can either leave the bad rut believing the lie, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, no, we believe lies like, I I I'm never going to amount to anything in my life. Uh, I I'll never find anybody to marry me. Nobody loves me. Uh, I'm, I'm destined to be a failure. Subconscious messages that are given to us in our, in our life as kids. Because of my sinful past, God could never use me in the future. Now, how many know that's a big lie that stops many people? 
So there's all sorts of lies that are a part of our mind, and we're not even aware or conscious of all of them, but uh, uh, it, it, it affects us. Now let's go a little deeper, and I want to ask the question, what shapes the way we think? And we could talk about any subject, uh, but I'm going to tell you two of the most dangerous things that are out there right now are our culture and our, and our media that supports the culture. Uh, you look at uh, TV shows today and you wonder, where did they get that value or where did they get that attitude? Where did they get... Uh, I, I think since I was young, TV shows have been demeaning the role as the of the father. They have been demeaning dad, and it's just almost for granted. And the kids, you know, they, they, they show him no honor and no respect. And it's like the culture uh, uh, unconsciously is creating biases in our mind and the way with it we think. So culture is there. How many know culture is pretty much 100% against God? It, our culture is antagonistic towards the Bible. Uh, modern education, secular education, often supports this, this trend but how many know we also, our thoughts are shaped by our experience? Any gardeners in the room? Just me. Two of us, huh? A couple of us. Well, here's some things that I learned when it was 5 to 10 degrees. You remember that week that we had not too long ago? Uh, I learned that some plants are not going to survive. I learned some plants are going to die, so next time I go to Lowe's, I'm going to be sure and check the temperature so they show me what's going to survive in case we have another cold step. Experience taught me that. It shaped my thinking. That's a good thing. How many know the opinion of other people shapes the way that we think? Uh, the COVID vaccine. There are eminent doctors on one side said, take it, it's good. There are eminent doctors on the other side says, wait a little while, let's let some more tests and let's let some time unfold. And you're in the middle and, and, and you're listening to people, but people are influencing us. But here's the one that I want to really you to think about. How we feel influences us. Now let me share a little personal history uh, in my life. Six, seven years ago, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she, we just had her uh, annual checkup, and she's cancer-free. So I praise the Lord for that. And uh, during that time, I was almost in a cocoon, and I, I just did great. I just kept pushing along. But after she got her final treatment and she was declared okay and normal, I, I started having panic attacks. I'd never had a panic attack in my life, but they were happening and happening frequently. Uh, I was in Albertsons one day, and uh, I had my shopping cart about a third full, and uh, this feeling came on me that was so strong that I had to leave my car, get in my car, and go home. Now, I don't, if you've never had that happen, I hope you never do. But it was a feeling that, that was strong. Now, I went to the doctor, went to the hospital, had the MRIs, I had, you know, they did the uh, heart cath, they did all sorts of things, and apologetically, the doctor said, I'm sorry, we can't find anything wrong with you. But yet, I had this feeling it's like I lived, and I still do to a degree today, like I'm on the edge of a cliff about to fall off. And this feeling would haunt me from the time I'd get up in the morning till the time I'd go up at night, and here's the lie that feeling taught me. It was so bad I had to take three months off of church, and I had this thought in my mind, I'm not going to be able to return to the pulpit. I'm not going to be able to do what God's called me to do. My son had a wedding at the end of those three months in June, and I thought, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. These thoughts were trying to form roots that were going to isolate me for the rest of my life. 
And it would have been easy for me to just withdraw into my home and sign up on disability. But the only problem is they haunted me when I was in my home. There was no way I could go to escape it. But fortunately, I do what I've encouraged you to do is read your Bible every day. You remember when I, we talked about the source of truth is God's Word? Well, guess what Philippians 1 told me? It says the God who began the good work in me, He's going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And this feeling when I'm on the edge about to fall off, this, this, the, the Word of God would bring me back and give me courage to step out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The God who began the good work in me, he's going to bring it to completion. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. My grace is sufficient for you, says the Lord. Just as Paul prayed three times that the thorn would leave him, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And it was the truth that began to replace the lie. Because the feelings are real. And I want to tell you, for some of us, we need a new beginning in our thinking, and our thinking needs to be shaped by the Word of God. Now, you say, Pastor, uh, how can I get a new beginning in how I think? Well, let me tell you. Thank you. <laughs> our minds need to be reprogrammed and replace the lies with truth. I had a problem with my TV the other day. The volume quit working, and I'm not a lip reader. So I called Samsung, and fortunately, I got somebody that knew what they were talking about, and I could understand them. And he had me go and reprogram the computer in that television that, had to, that produced sound. And when, when we went in and redid it, sound came out of the speakers. And I'm telling you, you can reprogram your mind. This may be the most important scripture of the day for many. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 don't be conformed to this world and this world's way of thinking, but be transformed. That's the Greek word for metamorphosis, where the, where the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It's the same word. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Another translation says, be changed within by a new way of thinking, and then you'll decide what God wants you to know. So the question obviously is, what do we reprogram our mind with? Because you cannot call Samsung when you have stinking thinking. How many understand that? Well, let me tell you what you reprogram your mind with. The Word of God. That's why last week I encouraged you to have a daily time of reading your Bible every day. Because how many know the truth, Jesus said, will set you free. Listen, there's something about the power of our thinking. Do you know most spiritual warfare, how many believe the devil is still real? How many believe he still wants to steal, kill, and destroy? And he wants to do it from you, and he wants to do it from me. Well, I suggest to you, most spiritual warfare is fought in our mind. I will suggest to you that even perhaps two of the times when Jesus was in the 40-day temptation, that the devil was coming to his mind, not just transporting or moving him. But be that as it may, if spiritual warfare is in our mind, we must capture the lie. How many, if you had a roach in your house, would let that little critter live there? How about if there was a snake in your house or a mouse? How many would let it live there and say, oh, Mr. Mouse? Well, Mr. Snake, how are you today? Can I just pet you on your head? How many would get a hoe and how many would get a gun? I need to see a show of hands here. Yeah, you'd get rid of them. 
Well, why do we let the stinking thinking be in our mind? Listen to what 2 Corinthians 10 says. We take every thought captive. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. But it's not enough just to recognize the lie. We must believe what is true. Philippians 4, 8 says, say this with me, fix your thoughts on what is true. It is the power of reprogramming our mind, of telling ourselves the truth. And I cannot tell you how often to this day I tell myself the truth and it wins over my feelings every time. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. It's Him that's worthy of our praise. Now, how many can honestly say, in the last moment, few moments, I've been thinking about some of my thoughts that are lies I need to get rid of. Raise your hand. Wave your hand at me. Could we just pray right now and ask God to help us? Because you remember, God is able. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all I could ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would help us change. We need a new beginning. And I want to pray for everyone, first of all, that every one of us would identify every lie that's in our mind, that we would recognize Satan's influence in our mind, and that we would take the thought captive, and that we would have the truth of God to fight and win that battle. So bless us in this in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be there for a bit if you've got your Bible. Uh, let's talk about a new beginning in our material world. I want to talk about contentment. And contentment means to be satisfied with things the way they are. To be satisfied with my wardrobe, my house, my car. Now, the Bible does not forbid ambition. How I many know it's, it's a good thing to be ambitious? It's a good thing to be able to want to buy your, you know, the kid the tennis shoes that they want and be able to have a nice house, nice car, all these things. But until we get there, how many know the Bible is going to show us that we can be happy or content where we are? Because if you believe the lie that says you'll be happy when you get the new car, the new truck, the new house, let me tell you, friends, it's a lie. Because that's not the source of happiness. We're talking about contentment right now. And uh, uh, Philippians 4, verse 10. Now, the book of Philippians was written uh, by Paul. And it was a missionary thank you letter. Paul was a missionary and uh, across the Mediterranean world. And the Philippian church was the church that supported him more than any other. So he says, I know you've always been concerned about me. Think about financial concerns. But you didn't have the chance to help me. Now look at verse 11. It's very interesting. It's a picture of a man not waiting at the post office for the check. It says, now, uh, not that I was ever in need... For I have, say it with me, learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, that's pretty amazing. How many can say it's easier to be content with new things rather than old things? It is. The only difference is, is if your, your old lazy boy wears out and you get a new one, you're just not as content. Or if you get some new shoes and they hurt your feet till they break in, you're not as content. The old is better. But most of life, come on now. A new car is usually better than an old one. Come on, a newer house, better than an older house. Uh, you know, a wardrobe that's stylish, better than one that's not. But if I don't have what I want, can I still be happy? Can I still be content with things the way they are? Paul said you can. He said, but he said he had to learn. Paul said, I know how to live on almost nothing 
or with everything. Whether it's a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. Look at verse 13. How does he do it? I can do everything. Say it again. Through Christ. I can find contentment through Christ who gives me strength. Now let me illustrate this just a little bit here. I want to show you a picture of a couple trucks and ask you which one would make you more content. The one on the left or the one on the right? Uh, I didn't say which one do you want now. I said which one would make you more content. We all want the one on the right. And this is really an unfair comparison. Because the one on the, on the right is a Ford and the one on the left is a Chevrolet. <laughs> it, it is unfair. They're probably about the same model year. But, but it, it, so it, it's an unfair... It, <laughs> it's, an unfair it's an unfair comparison. But really... Have you ever seen somebody riding in the truck on the left? It's 100 degrees outside. The windows are down. They don't have air conditioning. And they're just singing with the radio. And they just appear there as happy as a lark. But I've seen that same person that's got power everything and got air and heat and mega, mega this and mega, mega that. Unhappy, mad, snarling, throwing the cell phone down. Upset because they have last year's model because this year's model, come on now, has the XXLT and all they got is the XLT. And until they get the XXLT, they're not going to be happy. This is what I'm talking about. Because culture, media, advertisement tries to, make, tries to take away our contentment. Listen now. Unless we have the, the, the perfect hairstyle, the perfect set of shoes, the perfect this, the perfect that. It tries to undermine happiness in life that's ultimately found in Christ. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening. Let me tell you how to learn. And it's learn to be content. Let me tell you two negative things you got to fight against. And then the one positive that overcomes it all. The, two, the first negative one has to do with uh, complaining. The more you complain, the less content you are with what you have. How many know if every time you're, 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 you walk in your house and just say, Yeah, I just hate that carpet. Why can't I have tile? If that God stuff is real and that pastor would tell him the truth, God ought to just give me some some some. Something. <laughs> You're not going to be content. Complaining. Remember in the Old Testament there, uh, God's feeding them every day with manna. Yeah. Now, i got to be honest. I would be hard for me to eat the same thing for breakfast every day, every day of my life. They're there for a number of years, but they started complaining. Scripture said uh, 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 troublemakers among them wanted better food, and soon all the Israelites are complaining. And how many know sooner or later your complaining goes against God and it closes the door to God? you got to be careful of that. The second thing you have to be careful of is what the Bible calls is coveting. It is number 10 of the Ten Commandments. And the word covet means it's an excessive or compulsive desire to have what someone else has. Now, I don't think it's anything wrong. For example, you're a lady and you see a, you see a lady that's a, a kind of a, a leader in the, the kind of the fashion. And she's got, uh, you know, her new outfit or new shoes, new purse. And uh, it's nothing wrong with saying, I'd like to get some shoes like that. They look pretty cool. They look comfortable. They look cool. They match the purse. And she's got brown ones, so I'm definitely not getting brown. But I'll get, you know, black or I'll get a copper color or something. But, but, but there's nothing wrong with, you, you understand what I'm saying? But if you can't be happy every time you see her and every time you snarl on the inside because she's got what you don't have, that's coveting. 
And there's only, there's only one way to properly get rid of complaining and coveting, and that's to go to God in your quiet place and say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for complaining. Now, I need to be honest with you just a second. How many wear glasses, at least at some point in time? Now, I would pretty much guarantee you that most of us are able to go to the store, you know, or the optometrist and get a new pair of glasses every year or, or periodically or go to Walmart, you know, and get the, you know, get the readers or whatever the case is. I saw a guy in the last service, and he had two nails to replace the little bar that goes behind your ear. But he didn't seem mad. He seemed happy coming out. And he was talking about something else. See, we live in a world where we don't always have the biggest and best and most. And if we find ourselves complaining and coveting, there's only one thing to do is say, God, forgive me. Lord, I'm grateful that I had a pair of shoes to put on. You know, we, we, we have given money in the past. It was called Shoes That Grow. And we gave thousands of dollars. Basically, somebody engineered some sandals so that they could just get bigger as your feet got bigger. It's because people were barefoot and didn't have any shoes to put on their feet. So when I go to God and ask God to forgive me and look at the seven or eight shoes in my closet, come on now, I need to ask God to forgive me for coveting and forgive me for complaining. Now, I don't want to make you feel bad. I just want to tell you how to get rid of it. Let me tell you how to replace it. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Say it with me. It says to... Say it again. Give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah. And then he goes further. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for concerning you. A thankful attitude will, will break the back of complaining and break the back of coveting. A thankful attitude doesn't, is not an attitude that says, Lord, I wouldn't like the nicer truck. It just says, Lord, I'm grateful that the truck is getting me from A to B. Lord, I'm grateful that the shoes are, are keeping my feet cold or dry, and, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm grateful that I'm not sticking thorns in my feet when I walk across the yard. See, when you do that, when you have thanksgiving in your heart, you open a door for God to be able to come in. I'm telling you, friends, that's powerful for contentment. There's no more one biblical principle I can give you today to be content is to start out your life with thankfulness and to start your prayer life with thankfulness. I can promise you, if you will do mo spend more time thanking God rather than asking God for things, you'll be a happier person in life. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. <laughs> Let me touch on uh, another one quickly uh, regarding our material world. Uh, develop a generous attitude instead of being selfish and stingy. And i got to be honest, my wife is the more generous of the two of us. It's easier for her to give. I think, you see, stingy people are stingy for two reasons. One, we're stingy because we're selfish, and we've already concluded that 90% of you lied about that. <laughs> but the other reason we're stingy is because we're fearful. And I tend to do the checkbook and the numbers and all that stuff. And I say, well, honey, how are we going to and how are we going to? And what are we going to do about retirement and blah, blah, blah. How many know if you live too focused on that, you will never, ever, ever do anything for anyone else because you'll never have enough? I mean, that's just a fact of life today, given inflation and everything else. But uh, listen again to Proverbs. Here's the truth. Give freely and become more wealthy. How do you believe the Bible's true? And I'm not talking about a church offering now. I'm just talking about as a way of life. I, 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 if I could relive that moment with that guy that I saw in that lobby, and I had my billfold in my pocket, 
I'd have pulled out some money and said, go give you some new glasses. I wish I could go back and relive that moment. And I wish it would have been natural to me. I wish I could just be more generous. And I'm not saying you're gonna, God's going to make you wealthy and rich just because you're generous. But there is a biblical principle. Didn't Jesus say it in Luke 6, 38? Give and it shall be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken uh, and together and running over shall men bring into your bosom. Give freely, become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. Now, let, let me read just quickly what, what is, I think, the most balanced scripture in the New Testament that covers the whole realm of money and material things. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, teach those who are rich in this world. And I, I need to tell you, all of us are rich. The man that we saw on the screen in our giveaway today, uh, Jay Threadgill, um, he has a feeding program for children and educate them for 30 cents a day. He'll give them the best balanced meal that they'll get all day long. And for some, the only meal they'll get all day long. So is it fair to say we're, we're all rich in this world? Now, we may not be rich compared to somebody else, but we're all rich. He says, don't be proud and don't trust in your money. It's unreliable. But trust in God, now listen to this, who richly gives us all we need for our now, 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 that's a precious promise you need to write down right now. That should have put a smile on your face. Because what that says is, when God gives me money and wealth to take a nice vacation, buy a nice house, buy a nice car, I don't have to apologize for it. Come on. If I don't, if I don't buy off the sales rack, I don't have to apologize for that. If God blesses me and I'm able to enjoy things, listen, don't let the devil beat you up. Don't let people shame you or make you feel bad. Because God gives us things that we can enjoy. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Listen, if all I can afford is a zircon, buy the zircon and be happy with it. But if you can afford a diamond, enjoy that diamond. Amen. You don't have to show it off in front of people. Are you with me today? But listen, when God blesses us, let me take this pressure off of you. It's okay to enjoy good things. But it doesn't stop there, and here's where the balance comes. Uh, he said this. He said, tell them to use their money to do good. Here's what the selfish person doesn't do. The selfish person spends it all on themselves. Use your money to do good. How do I do that? Be rich in good works and be generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. What are good works? Good works are helping people in need. It's giving to missions projects like we're doing. This, uh, uh, you know, this missions house, Jameson and Titus that we're talking about, oh, the monsoon blew their home away. Well, our 10,000 didn't replace it. Who knows how much more they need? The more generous I can be, listen, the more of a blessing I can be to others, be generous to those in need, and always be ready to share. So this is the balance of life. Enjoy what God gives me, but be a generous person because that's where the blessing of God comes. And how many know God is able to change our hearts? Come on, when we struggle with it. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let's pray over this one. I, I, don't, I, don't, I want everybody to bow their head, and I don't want anybody uh, looking around. But if you need to repent for something that we've been talking about here, I know at times I get selfish, and at times I get fearful about retirement in the future. If you need to repent from God because of stinginess or because it's hard to be content, it's hard to be satisfied. There's just something inside you that just pushes you and pushes you. I want you to just ask God to forgive you right now. You don't have to tell anybody. Just ask God to forgive you. And Lord, we want to ask you to help us be generous people.
people. I don't care if it's giving a dollar away or a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand. Help us be generous people and help us find the balance between enjoying life and a life of good works motivated by generosity in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Yeah. Let's do one more. A new beginning in our priorities, living today with eternity in mind. One of our church members, Robert Trumbull, I, I, I saw him this week, and he said, Pastor, you'll never believe what happened yesterday. I said, well, <laughs> try me out. He said, I'm building a parking lot, and uh, the guy's out there with a the bulldozer leveling it off, and I got a phone call. And it said, uh, somebody's trying to steal the bulldozer. It's gone through a fence. And he said he drove out there real quick, and, and, and the driver wasn't on the bulldozer. He was laying in the side of the road, and, and, and he was purple from his neck up. And it apparently had a, either a brain or an aneurysm on his heart, and he instantly died. Well, how many? None of us know how long we have on this earth. But I'm not just talking about death. I'm talking about the reality that one day you and I are going to stand before God and give an account for our life. I'm not talking about salvation. Listen, for the Christian, how I many know oh, Jesus is our advocate? I mean, we don't have to worry about that. If you receive Christ, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And you don't have to worry about going to heaven. But we're still going to be judged. Our works are going to be judged in life. And one day the Lord, I don't know what he's going to say, but there's something the opposite of good and faithful servant. So I want you to pause, if you can today, a little bit. And maybe we need a new beginning so that we learn to think every day, not that I may die today, but so that today my life might do good for the kingdom of God. Today my life might make a difference in the world. Listen to what Jesus said. Mark 8, 36. Now, Jesus is it's pretty strong words. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And what he's contrasting is people that live solely for today versus living for eternity and eternity in mind. Now, the, the, Jesus is not saying you can't have hobbies and you can't, you know, have fun on this earth. But he's saying, keep it in perspective. Keep a balanced life and be living each day serving him. Listen to Mark 8, 36. Jesus said, what benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What benefit is the new truck and the new house, and I'm not knocking them at all because I, won't, I, I live in a nice house. I drive a nice truck. But don't give your whole life to the house and the truck. Don't give your whole life to the you know, property for turkey hunting and duck hunting. Don't give your whole life for one more shotgun to, you know, for the turkeys or, or whatever. And we've all got our things. Don't, if you do all that stuff and have all that stuff, but if eternity's not in the focus of your mind, you've wasted your life. Again, now we're talking about balance. Jesus reminds us we've got one life to live and our time on earth is limited and uncertain. Nothing on this earth will last forever. Now, again, the secret in all this is balance. You know, have the golf clubs, have the this, have the bass boat and all these things. But don't just be exclusive about that. Be kingdom-minded and do something with your life for Jesus that will last for eternity. I've often uh, I've heard the phrase, and it stuck with me. Someone asked me one time, John, what are you doing with your life that will last for the next hundred years? What are you doing with your life that will be 
making a difference for God in a thousand years? What are you doing that will make a difference in eternity? And it makes me pause because I share the same thing that you do. I fight every day of my life with busyness and distractions. And as I get older, I'm a little more tired. But I fight with how to bring this life of significance in following the Lord. How do I bring that in this life that I'm just trying to struggle and get ahead? Come on now. And, and, and have a nice home for my family and my children and buy my little girl her, her cheerleader outfit that, Lord have mercy, seven or $800. How do I do all this but still live for God? Let me see if I can help you with something very simple. Because what we're talking about is a life for significance. Live with the daily attitude that today I want to serve the Lord. Today I want to obey the Lord. Today I want to give as opportunities are available to me. I don't care if you're working at Cooper Tire, Wadley Hospital, or in the office at Church on the Rock. Every day of my life, I want to be storing up a little bit. Every day of my life, I want to be storing up treasure in heaven. Every day of my life. Listen, I have my job, I have my hobbies, but I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing it in deliberate ways that I've planned to do, I've signed up to do, I've committed to do. I'm doing it in unexpected ways. Uh, one of the simplest things we can do for people that we meet and, and may never meet again, or even if it's a friend, to ask them when we close the conversation, is there anything I can pray with you about? Whether it's on the phone, whether it's face-to-face, -face, or whether it's on Facebook. Because, friend, it opens a door for God to who knows where ministry could be. Listen, this, this last point, Lord, change me to help me live with eternity in mind. Let, let, me, let me give you an example of a life well-lived. And I'm going to show you a picture of two men, two great men. The one on the right is Dr. David Shibley. He, he heads Global Advance. Uh, his, under his ministry, they have trained almost, or maybe probably now more than, one million national leaders, indigenous leaders, around the world for Christ. A million people face-to-face -face in three-day conferences, crusades, equipping pastors, trained a million people and if those million people each influence a hundred that's a hundred million people it could be a billion people I mean influencing that's what he's done with his life that was a calling for him the man on the left David Hatley recently died David Hatley used to own a successful car parts shop in Dallas but let me tell you the story this is what David Shibley uh, the one the man on the right writes in an, uh, a memorial or an obituary. He said, Today I grieve the loss of one of God's giants, missionary David Hatley. Outstanding work of David and Jennifer Hatley in East Africa was founded in 1985. They established children's homes. Many of these homes are filled with kids with AIDS. A school, a network of over 250 churches. In other words, men that he had raised up, that he had discipled, that he trained up, and now they're leading, leading churches and leading ministries. And then the conversation changes, and, he, and, and they remember something that happened when uh, David uh, visited the Hatleys in Kenya. He says, we're riding, we're bumping along the dusty roads of back roads of Kenya. We're on the way to an orphanage, and David and his wife Jennifer established, and suddenly David Hatley, in, uh, uh, the, the missionary, turned to me, the preacher, with a gleam in his eye and said, this is all your fault. I says, what do you mean? He said, I was just a happy, Jesus-loving guy who owned a car parts store. 
And he said, then you preached a message in 1983 calling people to the mission field with the gospel. We moved to Kenya, raised our family, and now there's over 250 churches that are influencing a nation. Now let me say this. Very few of us are called to move full-time to the mission field. Our mission field is right where we live. I do not want to paint a picture that you have to walk away from your job to find something that will last eternally. I'll give you another picture. It's a friend of mine. He took me. He was a businessman. And he was a successful businessman. But now he's a mega successful businessman. And when, he's, when he was a successful businessman, he offered to take a group of pastors on our first missions trip. Now, I'm a pastor that has a goal, hopefully it'll be this year. Uh, the last couple of years, we've given uh, close to or over $700,000 in missions and advancing the gospel. My goal is for a million dollars. And wouldn't it be cool if every year we could give a million dollars outside the walls of this church just like we did today? I have a dream to be able to do that. And this man's partly responsible for that dream. Because he took us to the mission field with Larry Myers, and we went to visit several different places, and God changed my heart. And what he's done in his business is he builds churches all over the world. He builds orphanages, and he didn't make a big deal out of it. He didn't tell people about it, but every year he's giving hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, to advance the gospel around the world. And oh, by the way, he still has a 2,000-acre ranch, and oh, by the way, I think he has an airplane still. Because the issue is balance, not one or the other. And it's not just that he's able to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars. How many know to the guy that had those nails in his glasses, 50 bucks or 100 bucks, come on now, is just like a million dollars somewhere. Don't ever think that because I don't have much, I can't do much. Don't ever think because, I don't know, maybe you're a mom and raising three kids. Maybe you're raising the next Paul and Timothy. See, wherever we are in life, if we've tried to find God's will, the school we go to, the job we have, the, the, the ball teams we play on, we're on a mission field for God wherever we go. And if we'll use our time, our talent, and our treasure, if every day we'll get up when we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to obey you, I want my life to make a difference. Guess what? One day you're going to get to heaven. And Jesus is going to look at you with a big smile on his face and say, Pat, it's great to see you. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, give Jesus a big hand. Living each day with eternity in mind. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to, we're going to have a closing prayer. I'm sure honored that you've come today. Uh, I, I want to remind you uh, uh, about what my wife said. She said, she, uh, and I was in the prayer meeting, Friday morning. We have an early prayer meeting Friday morning, by the way. If you'll roll out a little early, right here, 7 o'clock, 7 to 8, around these altars, we're, we're, we're praying. We'd love to have you join us. If you can just come 30 minutes, come 30. But she said, I, I just feel like the Lord says we need to have our first baptism service. And not just for the new Christian, but for the Christian that needs a new beginning. Now, theologically, let's be clear. You don't have to be baptized multiple times to go to heaven. I mean, no, once is, once is enough. You're identifying with Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's something powerful about the faith and the experience of bearing the old and raising the new to life. 
So we're going to do that next week. After Saturday night service and after Sunday second service, it would help us if you'd sign up in the, in, in the Connect room uh, after search today or call the office or just bring your, bring your stuff next week, uh, and, and we'd be happy to do that. But there's something powerful about a new beginning. But let me know, it's easy to pray in church for a new beginning, but it's hard when you get home. It's hard to change the way you think. If you've been used to being a negative and critical person and you have a deep rut of being negative and critical to your family and yelling at them, I mean, it's a hard rut to change. But I want to tell you, God is able. If you struggle with being stingy for whatever reason, selfish, fearful, it's hard to change. But God can help you change. If generosity escapes you or contentment escapes you, God can help you become content. I guarantee you, y'all are not where you are, where you want to be in life, but you're not where you were, and you're not yet to where you're going to be. It's hard to live with eternity in mind because you're so busy and we have so many distractions. But let me tell you again, with God's help, it's possible. Now, I wish I could just tell you at the clap of a hand or one prayer and it's all fixed, but usually... We have to grow some spiritually. And if you were to ask me, Pastor, what's the secret to change? I would say this, spiritual growth. Same thing I told you last week. That's why I encourage you this week, read your Bible every day. You'll hear the voice of the Lord. Let me tell you what I want to tell you today. Take some time and pray every day. Some of us were able to get up earlier. I mean, we're just like that. We're wired that way. We can have a little prayer time over our coffee. That's great. Others, you got to drive to work, turn the radio off, turn the music off, and pray in the car on the way to work. And let me give you a little piece of advice how to pray. Remember the Lord's Prayer? I bet you know it with me. Say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my... Stop right there just a second. What was the first thing we prayed after we hallowed God's name? Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Isn't that living with eternity in mind? Help me today, Lord, to serve you. Help me today to live for you. Help me today, Lord, to make a difference in somebody's life. And then I pray for my needs. See, it's not that your needs are not important. It's just the kingdom first. Eternity is, is more important than the temporary each day. And I suggest to you, friends, if you'll get on a path of spiritual growth, change will happen. And God won't leave us the way we are, but he'll bring us to what he wants us to be. Come on, give him one big hand today. He is worthy, worthy, worthy of all of our praise. One of our pastors is going to close the service, Pastor Mike. Amen. As we close, if you're a guest, be sure to take that guest card, drop it in the connect room on the way by. They'll give you a gift. And we have ushers and offering boxes if you want to drop your offering off. But I want to ask you a very serious question, and this message has been leading up to it. Are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? You know, somebody asked me that many years ago. As a matter of fact, they drew a circle on their chest. And they said, you know what that is? That's a God hole. You can try putting whatever you want in there. You can try putting sports and girls and cars, and it'll never satisfy you. The only thing that will satisfy you is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So this guy really got my attention. And then he shared four things that changed my life. Number one, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And I want to remind you today, he loves you and he has a plan for your life.
But because of our sin, we're separated from God. How many sin? We've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And the third thing, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Through him, we can know and experience God's plan. I knew all those things through Sunday school. But you know, I wasn't living like that. The last thing he said is the thing I want to challenge you with that challenged me. You have to individually invite him into your life. It's about having a relationship. Religion is our best effort to reach God. A relationship is where you invite him in. He comes in your heart, changes you from the inside out, and you really become new. And that's what a new beginning is about. So if you're here right now, you've never asked Christ into your life, or you've gotten off track, I'm going to ask you very boldly in just a moment to lift your hand up, and you're not voting for me or the church. What you're saying is, God, I need you, and I give you permission to come into my life and change me. So if that's you, you need a new start. You need to get right with God. You need to ask him in your life. Hold your hand up so we can say a prayer for you. See your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand. God bless. Over there. Amen, amen. Back there. Right there. God bless you. You know, we don't do this a lot of time with the lights on and ask you to raise your hand. But I'm telling you, your life's going to change today. You mark this day down, and your life's going to change. What we're going to do right now is our altar team's coming up, and I want you to come over to that cross area, and we'll have somebody over there. Uh, we'll pray with you. We'll get you. Come on, give them a hand as they come, man. We'll just come over to this cross. I want altar workers, this is your main focus right now. If you just make your way down there, matter of fact, we're just going to pause one more time. All of you that said that prayer, let's just re that raise your hand. Let's say that prayer together. Everybody here, just repeat it after me. If you raised your hand. We're giving God permission to come in our life. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I invite you to come into my life. Change me. Forgive me. Give me the power to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our altar workers will get you some information. They'll take you with you. But come on, how about giving God one more hand clap here? Thank you, Jesus. Continue to come. If you need a new beginning, come to that altar. And as we close, we're going to sing one more time. Our prayer team is here to pray with anything you might need. If you're sick in your body, if you want to pray for a relationship. But the last thing, there's been a lot today. If you're one of our contractors, one of our workers that was here and been working on this building, when you leave, just go out those doors and go right down to the right across some restaurants to Powerhouse. We have a reception for you and a gift. And so uh, how about giving God one more hand clap and all the glory. God bless you.